Amen. Are you being blessed by these students tonight? Has it been a blessing so far? Yeah. I think it was the loudest cheer that an incomplete pass ever got in an NFL game. It was December 29th, 2002, before any of these students even were alive. <laughs> and I can remember watching a game that all of a sudden had become more important than it was before. You see, as I've shared with some of you, I'm not an actively participating New York Jets fan anymore because it's just too hurtful. But for a lot of years, I considered myself a pretty strong New York Jets fan. Now, let me set up just a little bit of what it's like to be a fan of the New York Jets. In the last 50 years, they have won a division title two times. There's only four teams in the division. When you do the math and work it out, it's, it's tough, tough life being a New York Jets fan. On 2002, something strange had happened because all of a sudden, on the last day of the season, some things had to fall the New York Jets way in order that they might be able to claim a season title. Their season had started off really slow, and they had no hope. They'd changed the quarterback and, and moved in a, a young guy, and all of a sudden, the team just took off. And as they got to the last week, it was just possible if enough Plinko chips fell just the right way with some of the games that they might just be able to have a chance. Well, one of the games didn't go their way, and so as they came into the 4 o'clock time slot, all of a sudden what they realized is for these 1 o'clock games, the Miami Dolphins had to lose to the New England Patriots for them to have a chance to win the division title. Late in the fourth quarter, the Dolphins were up 11 points. And so every, as everyone came into the Jets game, they thought, well, here we go. Six minutes into the first quarter, all of a sudden, when an incomplete pass got thrown, the loudest ovation began to extend over the whole stadium because you see on this day the Jets had come not even sure if they could even win the game that was there because the Green Bay Packers and Brett Favre and one of the best records in the league were coming to town and so on top of any other Plinko chips that have to go their way they've got to win that game all of a sudden six minutes into the first quarter an incomplete pass fell on the field from Brett Favre but then the stadium began to roar you know what you ought to see it for yourself. So let me take you back VHS style to 2002. Welcome to a moment in time. So Brett Favre getting the first down and a flag goes and the Jets may have jumped. This could be a free play downfield and Favre trying to hit Donald Driver just beyond him. But the preliminary signal and Adam Vinatieri has just kicked the field goal to give the New England Patriots a come from behind 27 to 24 victory and now the Jets have all to play for with the AFC East on the line in this game. This is going to be unbelievable the rest of the way through this football game. There was one day that Tom Brady played for the New York Jets. And on that day, when the New England Patriots beat the Dolphins, and as those people who brought in students, this is before the days of cell phones, little transistor radios into the stadium began to hear what had taken place, a thrill of hope began to resound all around that stadium because now, all of a sudden, the Jets had a chance to do what only comes around about as often as Haley's Comet for a Jets fan, and that was to see a division title possibly happen. They still had to beat the best or one of the best teams in the league that was there that day on their field. But you hear people who watch sports talk about momentum shifts 
and waves of emotion. And that thrill of hope began to move through not only that stadium, but the players as well. And that scoreless Jets team in the first quarter, by the fourth quarter, had scored 42 points. And by the time Wayne Krebet ran into the end zone, holding the ball aloft and screaming as loud as he could. You see that face? That's the face of, we don't win a whole lot. The Jets had scored 42 points and the Packers only 17. And the last time the New York Jets won a division title was that day. A thrill of hope. And what it's like for that thrill of hope to move through people who had been too long stuck in misery. John chapter 1 speaks about that as well. And, And amazingly enough, the song we even just sang had a lot of language from... John chapter 1. Even a song that we sing around Christmas time, you might recognize that phrase. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. This is what John writes as he begins his gospel in John chapter 1. He, he writes at the very beginning about the light shining into darkness. But in John chapter 1, if you got your Bible this evening and you want to turn and be there with me, John chapter 1 verse 14 says this, And the Word, meaning Jesus, John has already described, uh, described Jesus in that way, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Martin Luther said that the greatest perplexing truth of all of human history was the Incarnation that Jesus Christ would wrap himself in human flesh and come to the earth, that he would become not only among us, but one of us in that sense. There was an old story about a man who was a farmer and he just never could latch on to the faith that his wife and kids had. And so when they would go to service, he would stay at home. And there was one Christmas Eve service that was happening at the church. And he decided he just, you know, wasn't going to go that night like always. And as he was, you know, it had been a snowy night and a cold night. And as he was outside, he just sort of had one of those you know, things that as he looked out, he saw all these birds on the ground. This is an old story just called The Man and the Birds. And as he went out to go to his barn, he saw these birds out in the snow, and he said, you know, I'm going to open the doors of this barn and let them in. That way they can be in the warmth and not have to be out in the snow. And sure enough, he opened the doors of the barn, and the birds didn't move. He put some light in the barn, so maybe that would attract them, and they didn't move. He went out and began to wave frantically at them and to try to move and scurry them, but sure enough, they never went to the barn. And he began to think, how in the world am I going to get these birds to understand that there's a warm place, and in all this cold, they can find safety inside this barn? He said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to be able to tell them unless I could become one of them and communicate with them. And it was then that the church bells rang in the distance and that farmer realized for the first time it was worth going to the church that was just a stone's throw away. Because all of a sudden the incarnation had made sense. That Jesus had come to be among us and to be one of us, fully God and yet at the same time to wrap himself in human flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. C.S. Lewis said that the only option we have for the Lord Jesus is that he is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. There is no other option. 
And John says we've seen his glory as he's about to lay forth his testimony about Jesus. He's saying from the very beginning the only option you will have left is that Jesus has come not only from the Father, but he has come as equal to the Father. In that sense, part of the triune God has come to dwell among us. And then he says this, that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. For all of us, we kind of find ourselves on a spectrum sometimes of either grace or truth. It's hard for us to be both. We get really fascinated or or excited about truth. We want to give the truth and be this and do this. And maybe grace is a little tougher for us. Others of us, we get really excited about grace. And yet the truth is is sometimes a, a point of difficulty. The Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. The balance of the mercy of the Father and also the righteousness of the Father. The balance of what we deserved and what we did not deserve, which was his grace. The only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 16 says this, for from his fullness, Jesus' fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. I'm a, I'm a history nerd at heart, and so one of the things that's been fascinating to me about the last year or so is reading about things that happened in the early 1900s. At the turn of the century, when it was just becoming the 1900s, there were some really incredible things, and that was really an age of optimism. The Panama Canal was built. The Wright brothers got in a machine and flew at the Outer Banks, and all of a sudden, powered flight had become a possibility for humankind. We began to explore and to to go all the way to the North Pole and the South Pole, and there were huge ships being built and, and all kinds of advancements in technology. It was an age where people really thought almost anything was possible. And there was this incredible optimism and this incredible ambition that was there. But it was an optimism and an ambition that was often without ability. And while there were some who had great ideas, there were others who had really poor ideas. One man that I think of decided that the best way to go to the North Pole would be to take a hot air balloon. And so he attempted to do that and it didn't turn out very well. There was another one who, as he was going to go and be the first one to go to the South Pole, he really thought those who were in those climates didn't know what they were doing, and so instead of sled dogs, he decided the best chance for them would be to take ponies to the South Pole. It didn't work very well. You know, the last thing that I think of is when the Titanic sank in 1912, immediately there were people who began to come up with schemes of how they might be able to raise the Titanic. As early as 1914, they were thinking about giant magnets and giant cranes, things that they didn't have the capacity to even build, much less find the Titanic. My favorite idea, I think, was that if you could take enough ping pong balls and take them down to where the Titanic was, you could fill the Titanic up with ping pong balls and float it up to the top. It would only take one and a half billion ping pong balls. What they didn't have the understanding to know is that the water pressure was so great, none of the ping pong balls would have even lasted to the two-mile depth that the Titanic set at. Ambition and optimism without ability. The message of the gospel is this, is that regardless of however much ambition and optimism you have and what your standing could be before God, all of us fall short of his standard. 
All of us find ourselves guilty. All of us will find ourselves as hopeless as a hot air balloon over the North Pole in trying to do what only Jesus could do. This is what the text says. Remember Jesus' fullness that John describes, that he is the fullness of grace and truth. Then it says this in verse 16, For from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. Jesus was the fullness of grace and truth, and yet he extended to humanity grace upon grace. Why is that? Because we couldn't handle the truth. And Jesus Christ has handled it for us. Jesus Christ carried what we could not carry. Jesus Christ has accomplished what we could not accomplish. That he was the true and better Adam. When Adam failed in the garden, it was Jesus in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, that said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It was Jesus again and again who was the true and better Abraham, the true and better Isaac. He was the true and better Samson and the true and better Gideon, the true and better Jonah. You can go list the list as far as you want to take it. And the message of the gospel is that Jesus has come because no one else is qualified. And so for us, what we have received is grace upon grace. Not now that you know the truth do this and reach this standard and be this great or this perfect or, or whatever it might be. No, what we've received from Jesus was the only thing we could hope for. Grace upon grace. Jesus took the truth and gave us grace. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. That Jesus took on the law and he took on our sin and on the cross of Calvary he made possible our standing before God knowing that our sins had been paid for and when he rose again all of a sudden death and hell had been defeated once and for all. John begins with this in chapter 1 verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In the Old Testament, one of the prophecies about Jesus said this, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And so the way that the Bible was going to describe what was undescribable was to say, Jesus is like a light that enters into a place that is only darkness, that he is foreign and different than everything else that exists there. And this light has come into the dark, and this light was the life, or this life was the light of men, and that light shines in the dark, darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it you know I think in our day we don't live in an age of ambition and optimism maybe we live in an age of hopeless cynicism we live in a day and age where people are ready to squabble with one another and we, we sort of build people up in order to tear them down in the news cycle and everything else and so we we live in a world that I think doesn't have the optimism that perhaps existed a hundred or plus so years ago or whatever it might be but in the face of hopeless cynicism in darkness in sadness in anything else you walk in here with tonight Jesus Christ is the light and the life that will shine into whatever your situation is in my situation and so the hope of Christmas is that wherever there's Jesus, there's always hope. 1809 was a year that was full of uh, a lot of violence and difficulty. Napoleon was waging his way through Europe and on, on the battlefields of Austria and elsewhere. It just seemed like there was a bleak time coming into humanity. 
And if there had been a 24-hour news cycle in 1809, maybe all day long they would have all been talking about the fate of the world is being, is being uh, you know, decided on a battlefield in Austria today. The fate of the world is being decided by how Napoleon's armies do or don't do. What they didn't realize was some of the unsung news of the day. In 1809 in England, there was a man born named Alfred Lord Tennyson. In America, there was another named Oliver Wendell Holmes, still another named Edgar Allan Poe. In a tiny cabin out in the country in Kentucky, a little boy named Abraham Lincoln was born. And so for all of those during that day, they may have said, the fate of the world is being decided on a battlefield in Austria, but that wouldn't have been true. Because you see, the fate of the future had to do with cradles all around the world that were that day being filled with those who would guide them into the future. You know, students, it's wonderful for us to get a chance to hear from you guys because that reminds us that there's a future. That reminds us not only that there's a future, that there's a present. It gives us hope for tomorrow. But for each one of us as well, the message of the gospel constantly pulls us in to recognize the hope, the thrill of hope for people who find themselves in darkness in the Lord Jesus. Chris Tomlin, and I'll close with this, wrote a song that you probably have sang before, and the lyrics go like this. What hope we hold this starlit night, a king is born in Bethlehem. Our journey long, we seek the light that leads to the hallowed manger ground. What fear we felt in the silent age, 400 years could he be found. But broken by a baby's cry, rejoice in the hallowed manger ground. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God incarnate, here to dwell. The message of Christmas is that Jesus Christ has come to be all that we cannot be. He has done all that we cannot do. And our call is to surrender to him and to have hope knowing who he is and what he's done. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to rejoice and the reason to come to a Christmas service and to sing and worship, not something that was long ago, but a Savior who lives now, a Savior who has accomplished all that he came to do, and one day will come again. And so, Father, would you remind us this Christmas that whatever darkness we find ourselves in, would we allow the light of Jesus to shine through? Would we find hope and be thrilled would the weary world see what yonder breaks a new and glorious morn and would you shine in our hearts as you see fit we thank you father in jesus name amen